Welcome to episode 88 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me are J.P. Breen and Ryan Top. That was a big sigh, Steve. It was Man. like a super big sigh. It, it, like, I told you I was up until like 1 in the morning seeing uh, Endgame. Yeah. So should I start spoiling it now or should I wait until the very end to put spoilers in? <laughs> People will kill you. I know. So I'm not, <laughs> not going to do that at all. Plus, I know JP would get really pissed if I started spoiling all the Avengers movies for him, right? Look, I was actually trying, when we were talking about it earlier, I was trying to like figure out like who is all in the Marvel universe. And I think I was, gonna, I was struggling. I could name like five or six. I'm sure you could name them if you wanted to try, but you just don't care. No, that's what I'm saying. Like I could name five or six. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah, Captain like, Marvel in the Marvel universe? Or is that a different universe? That'd be pretty great if it was in like the DC universe. Do you want to get nerdy about it? No, well, it's not. <laughs> Steve, Steve's like, it's Steve like cozies up to the microphone. He's like, if you want to talk about this, I can fucking talk about this. Because, you know, Shazam is the movie out right now from the DC universe. Yeah, I saw advertisements for that a lot. Shazam is what he says to turn into the superhero. The superhero was originally called Captain Marvel. Oh, wow. So, and then they, there was something with copyright that they didn't renew it, and then Marvel, like, bought it and prevented them from being able to call that character Captain Marvel anymore. Isn't, uh, wasn't Shazam the one thing with, uh, like, Shaq in it? <laughs> that's that ca- Kazam. That's Kazam. Shazam was the movie by Sinbad that doesn't actually exist, but everybody thinks it does. That was Kazam, who was the rapping genie who came out of a boombox in the mid-90s. Yeah. yeah. No, but have you ever heard of that Shazam thing with uh, Sinbad? That there's this whole thing that people believe there is a movie with Sinbad as a genie from like the early 90s. There's like this cultural memory of it, and it didn't actually exist. People have like done research. It's been a research topic. The comedian Sinbad? Yes, the comedian Sinbad. Huh, I had no idea. Yeah, you, you should look this up. Everybody should look this up because, yeah, there's like this weird thing where the culture somehow sort of invented that this exists somehow, and nobody's quite sure where it came from. But well, people think that a movie that doesn't actually exist exists. If we believe yeah. it exists, I think it does actually <laughs> exist at that point. There is a there's an entire it's like a huge NPR episode. I don't remember of like uh, whatever their science and tech uh little like thing is right like it's it's like the the truth lab or whatever or whatever it is um yeah they do a whole thing where they actually like did academic studies to try to figure out why it is that an entire generation of people insist that this exists which and you know the answer is always there are also flat earthers too so you know (laughs) i thought npr only tried to clear murderers of whatever (laughs) they did isn't that their thing that's (laughs) in dulcet tones I think that's I think that's actually been uh, taken over by Netflix now. Yeah, I was going to say that's now Netflix's hustle. They do hot hot murderers because they can put pictures to it. So, okay, uh, that was our movie and TV review and podcast review. Yeah, right, all rolled into one. Uh, don't listen to any of that. So, anyways, but what you should listen to is our podcast. It can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Our M&B and Ball and Glove patrons receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast. We just put one out. Couple weeks ago now. I'm trying to remember when it was. Yeah, there's there's one for last month. There will be one coming up for May. 
uh, not next week, but probably the week after. Yeah, so uh, jump on board with that, and you can get those as soon as they come out. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English Shell Malt Bombs and Perfectly Balanced Hop Grenades. You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. May 4th is the Great Taste of the Midwest ticket sale extravaganza. Ryan, you going to get those? I'm working on it. You're going to be in I line. Mean, you're going to be in line for that. Are there places to line up in Milwaukee, or do you? No, you got to go to Madison. I was going to say you have to line up in you Madison. Ha- you have to go to Madison, and one that I recommend is Carbon Four. Oh yeah, that's right. They have stuff, which is why I brought it up. Yeah, and that I, they generously gave me a ticket last year, which was amazing. So. They did. So uh, check that out. Also, that day is May the Carbon Fourth. Be with you. Wow. So, yeah, they're doing the uh, where you can wear Star Wars costumes that day and come down to the brewery, which means that you can both you're going to have lines of people who are there for a massive beer festival and those tickets and also Star Wars nerds in costumes. It, it, and to be clear, we're not ragging on Star Wars nerds. We're Star Wars. Nerds. We grew up with it. So, yeah, yeah we can't really that, rag on it. Yeah. So I don't know how intermingled that'll be. If they're going to be two separate lines or one you know, just line of people. Commingled line. Yeah, commingled brewery line. So anyways, check that out. Uh, Carbon 4 is featuring a special Welcome to the Dark Side flight that includes Valorium's Goldmine Peanut Butter Stout, Lars Owen Dunkelbach, Night Mall Smoked Porter, and the brand new Dark Sidious Black IPA. The Smoked Porter is smoked. back. It's, it's Night Mall. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, uh, go there, get that flight of beer, wearing your Star Wars, you know, costumes and trying to get Great Taste of the Midwest tickets. That's going to be a busy-ass weekend. That Yeah, that sounds like an event. I think you literally have to show up at, like, midnight for that. Camp out? Yeah, but it'll be worth it. So, um, hey, also, get 20% off of merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKETailgate. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. Uh, the week started out a little rough. What do you think? <laughs> With a sweep at the hands of the Cardinals? Yeah, it brought them back to 5-5 five and five with the Cardinals for the season, which... Yeah. I was going to say, with the way it started out against the Cardinals, it seemed like, oh, we got their number this year. Well, 3-1 and one and then uh, taking two out of three in the second series. And then, yeah, getting the sweep. I, I really do wonder if the Cardinals are the class of the division. I mean, if that's really... I see that. You put that in the rundown. I did, I did you, put that in the rundown. Okay. Did, do, you really, do you really think this? Do you think the Cardinals right now are the best team? Or do you think over 162 games, the Cardinals are the best team? I, they seem to have less fundamental flaws in their, their setup. I think they have the better balance of pitching and hitting. I mean, their lineup is ridiculously good. It is. I think we got a false impression of Ozuna a little bit from last year. They have. We haven't this year because even in the games that the Brewers have won, he's been right. Ozuna's raking. done really, really well against the Brewers and really against everybody else. He's he's off to a tremendous start. I think that you really are looking at a very, very balanced team and a very good team in the Cardinals, which isn't a surprise. We thought that coming into the year that they were a pretty damn good team. So. I mean, we'll see, but I think the Cubs, there are some very legitimate concerns and questions about them on the pitching side, and obviously the Brewers as well. Like, both teams have significant pitching questions. So I think the Cardinals are potentially the class of the division, but it is close, and we will see how it plays out over the course of the whole season. JP, what's your view of the Cardinals right now? Is it 
they just kind of have their stuff together at the moment or are they, you know, potentially the best team over 162? Yeah, I think they're probably the best team over 162. I feel pretty comfortable saying that at the moment. The reason is, ironically, I think the reason is depth. Um, I think the Cardinals have the Cardinals have a, a good offense, right? Brewers have a good offense. I don't think there's too much arguing there. I think the Cardinals have some question marks in their starting rotation. They've been dealing with some injuries. But one of the biggest things that they've got is uh, Carlos Martinez is going to be coming back. Alex Alex Reyes isn't even up yet. They've got guys like Ponce de Leon who, who can kind of come up and actually give good, competent innings. Um, they've got already in their bullpen two to three, uh, you know, upper echelon uh, relievers. And to that, they're going to start adding the guys like, you know, Carlos Martinez, Alex Reyes, guys like that, like I was mentioning before. And so they've got a lot of the things that the Brewers were able to do last year that was able to make the question marks in their starting rotation even better. Um, obviously, they've got Jack Flaherty who can kind of anchor them, but uh, Miles Mikolas hasn't even really been pitching all that well yet, and and they're already benefiting from that. So um, they're benefiting from that depth is 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 what I'm saying because they don't necessarily need guys like Mikolas to be as good as he was last year to find success. They've got other guys that can step in and do it. And the Brewers right now, even though they do have a lot of depth, especially in their offense, they do have a lot of starting pitchers that they can throw into the starting rotation, which is beneficial. But the biggest thing that we've seen again and again this year, and again, I think we're seeing it today against the Mets, is that they don't have, they've got Josh Hader and maybe Junior Guerra if you want to give him you know, the next nod. And then they've got a bunch of guys that on a day-to-day basis, you kind of hope can do it. Um, yeah. I I was going to say, I think that, that Alex Claudio can be a guy, but he's really struggling with his, his location at the moment. Um, that's a big, big problem for him. Yeah. We saw that on Sunday afternoon. Uh, the one vulnerability the Cardinals have that maybe the Brewers and, and Cubs do not so much is the Cardinals have some bad defensive situations on that roster. There are guys playing at positions they really shouldn't be playing. You have Matt Carpenter over at third, where really he's, at this point, really much more of a first baseman. You have uh, guys playing in the corner outfield that are not good um, defensively, like, who are really, you know, liabilities out there. But at the same time, like, there. so two things. Number one, we've we've got Mike Mustak as a second base, so it's not like, you know, we've got... Uh, a, a phenomenal out. We we do have a phenomenal defensive outfield, but after that, you know, there are question marks. Um, do well, we they op- also don't have like they don't have great shortstop defense. They but don't no, have no. You that's know. that's fine, and that's not. I'm not arguing that point. But I'm I, I'm going to ask: Is it are does that really matter that much? I think it matters a, it a little bit in a tight race, which I still think this is going to be. I think that does end up mattering. But I mean, well, does that- we've we've also seen the the 2016 Cubs had a great defensive team that that elevated them that season. They won the World Series. The Brewers last year relied on really great defense, you know, behind a pitching staff that wasn't fantastic by any means. Right. So I, I don't think it's something to overlook and dismiss no. completely. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the but course I would say, of the season. Like, at- at the same time, when you do look at it and say the Brewers have a massive have massive question marks in their in their bullpen right now and still, frankly, have have question marks in the rotation, though, we can actually see a light at the end of the tunnel there. I mean, 
I would I would much rather take a, an average to below average defense than I would a, a bullpen that I just like don't understand what's happening in it. Yeah, um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how the bullpen shakes out. They just got Jeffress back, and I think everybody's kind of looking at his velocity at the moment and thinking that's probably not quite what they need at the moment. But I want to go through the uh, starters for the St. Louis series real quick. Um, we had Hauser starting in the first game. Uh, he got knocked around a little bit. Zach Davies was all right uh, on Tuesday. His roughest start of the year, though, so far. Well, he in went, terms of giving up runs. Yeah, he went four and two thirds. Um, he only gave up two earned runs. Oh, it was that low. Huh. Yeah, okay. but it wasn't a very efficient start, so he didn't get deep. Which again, we have a bullpen now that have they pitched the most innings in baseball at the moment? They're up there. Yeah, they're close. It depends on where they stand after today. You know, so even though Davies didn't give up a lot of runs, he didn't get deep into a game for a bullpen that basically needs a seat. And then Shasin had another rough start um, against the Cardinals. So I guess, you know, until these young guys like Burns and Peralta work their way back or we start getting, you know, Nelson um, worked back in the rotation, is this just going to be a complete patchwork for the time being? I, it's not as bad as it appears. I tweeted out this week a little something about the fact that if you looked at what the Brewers, they have faced such good offenses this so far this year. If you look at the Dodgers and the Cardinals were number one and two in the NL in terms of run scoring when I did this earlier in the week. I haven't updated it, but are you going to uh, do your math for everybody? And then Saturday or and then sorry, the Cubs, they'd also played for three and they were third. You are looking at a team that has played the vast majority of their games against elite offenses, not just good offenses, not just and they're seeing these teams two and three times. So their pitchers are being exposed to the same Cardinals hitters. It's not just you're facing good hitters. You're facing the same Cardinals hitters two, three times in a short time period. Yeah, but doesn't that work the other way for the Brewers hitters? It does. And the Brewers offense has been relatively good. That, that hasn't been a problem. I'm talking about why the pitching has been as spotty as it has. If you look at the teams they have played, they have played damn good offenses. And it's, it is exposing them to, I think, some, some bad numbers that aren't necessarily uh, fully real. You you're, know, but you're the seeing thing is, like an exaggerated version. Coming into the season, we talked about how deep the National League was. I mean, so to say, oh, they're playing all these good teams, but you know, right on, next to each on. other. It's not just that they're playing good teams. They're playing elite offenses over and over. They played seven games against the Dodgers. They've played 10 against the Cardinals. Yeah. Those are the two best offenses in the National are they, League. Are they elite or is the Brewers pitching just not good enough? Well, and that's been, why they're, been, they're elite teams, offenses. Those teams have been killing everybody else. So, I don't know. They, I mean, you're talking about a really... Been, those, teams have, those teams are number one and two if you take the Brewers out of the equation. They I know, flip-flop, but... but but like I, I honestly struggle to figure out how you could look at what the Brewers starting rotation has done, actually watching them on a game to game basis and think that basically they've just been exposed by bad pit, by by good hitting. They haven't been good, but they've been not nearly but, as bad as what it has appeared. The, right. But the, the, the entire point of this and the reason why I push back on it is like I don't understand how like what you're saying might be true, but I'm not sure it's significant. I mean, looking at the number of games that they have played against those teams is 
overwhelming. It's overwhelming their schedule so far this year. But you're guys, also drawing, guys, a con- you're played- drawing a conclusion from an extremely small sample size when you take the Brewers out. When you're saying, well, look what they did against other teams. You're not looking. You're looking like at a week's worth of games for these teams. They have played 20 of their, what now, 32 games or whatever it is. They've played 20 games against the top three offenses in the National League. So what you're saying is they might still struggle, but not struggle this bad. So, no, what I'm saying is that what a lot of the the depth of the struggles and how bad it looks is being but driven not, by how bad the team is. I, under, I understand that. Or, sorry, I'm, being driven by how, how tough the schedule has been, not I'm how at, bad they actually are. I'm asking for what the conclusion, uh, like what the takeaway is, not the fact that they are they've been t- facing really good offenses and therefore, you know, it makes sense that they've struggled. I'm asking, are you suggesting that they're actually a probably league average uh, starting staff who's just been exposed by playing really good offenses and that we should expect a pretty big improvement or we should just expect them to not be as bad as they have been, which, again, I don't think like that doesn't. It's, it's like a I don't know what to do with that nor do i know what that really means you know you're talking about this though and i mean against the mets they gave up two six and five runs and now they've Mm -hmm. they went two and and one against the mets Mm -hmm. yeah two six and five runs that's not that out of the range for what they were doing against everyone else i mean compared to what they were giving up against the cardinals it is fairly i mean they had the 13 run game but they also lost you know four three and they lost five to two I don't, they've I don't they've wanna, been giving I, up over six runs a game against the Cardinals this year. So. They, like, I, yeah. I don't want to spend too much time on this because Steve's going Steve's to start beating his head against the, <laughs> the duck work back there. But um, if you would be, if anyone else were trying to make any kind of judgment off of the sample that you're talking about, you would be shouting them from the rafters. Yeah, you have a there is a sample size limitation problem here, but it's don't even have, say it's what don't, we have to work don't, with. Don't say that and even, then say don't but. Don't even say but. It's what we have to work with. It I is, mean, but that doesn't mean that just because you have numbers doesn't mean it's significant. No, there there is something here to at least put in context to understand how good the offenses they've been facing. I think everybody knows you say their schedule's been difficult, but I think to understand the depth of that you are playing the brewers have mostly played so far their games this year have been mostly played against elite offenses what do you call the mets huh what do you call the mets because we can go by small sample sizes what do you call the mets the mets are a fine offense they they're improved, fine they improved a lot in the offseason and they're fine and the brewers pitching staff did the exact same thing they normally do against the mets and, no, and they didn't. Here, i mean they were they gave up the, what like four runs a game yeah three, against three the, against the dodgers uh, in in LA, they gave up five, one, and seven runs. Yeah, they, actually, against the Dodgers, the Brewers were better against the Dodgers than they were against anybody else. They had a really good run against the Dodgers this year, uh, pitching wise. Whereas they they struggled, they've really had trouble with the Cardinals. So they've basic- won some games because their offense has been really good. So basically, you you lumped in the Dodgers there too to make a broader part a broader point against what they did against the Cardinals. I. I'm looking at the entire thing. I mean, I'm trying to you're you're ragging on me for giving you a small sample and I'm trying to expand the sample size. Like <laughs> with bad data, just because you add a bunch of small samples together doesn't make it anything significant. Okay. That's what I'm saying. The point the point is is that they have faced incredibly good offenses, offenses that have been scoring a shit ton of runs against teams that aren't the Brewers as well. 
That was the whole Rick, point of looking up what those teams are doing. They have you know this is why this side of what they've done against the Brewers. Hold on, they've they've been facing really really good offenses, and I'm trying to give some sort of a perspective to this where people can see that like that is skewing the numbers. It is how much it's skewing the numbers. How much of this is really what they are and what they're going to be for the full season, and how much of it is like they are. This is the competition they've faced is yet to be determined. Nobody can know exactly what that is. What I'm pointing out is that it really is a significant run of offenses they face. This is really good offensive teams. This is why I call you the OPS of mathematicians, because you just take random numbers, smash them together, and draw conclusions. But the last part I want to say on this is you could have literally just said the Brewers are probably not going to be this bad offensively because they've played really good offenses, and everybody would have said, yeah, that's true, but not interesting, and we all just would have moved on. Like anybody who's trying to argue that they're going to be this bad over the course of a season because of who they've because of like what they've done in 30 games isn't worth listening to in the first place. Well, it, there's a lot of talk going on because it's it's gotten to be a month now. And normally a lot of talk. Normally, at this point in the season, you've had put, a put schedule the balance ma- put out. Put the Twitter machine away. Normally, at this point in the season, you've had the schedule balance out and the schedule has. We're like, what, three weeks in, four weeks in now. Yeah, normally you've had, normally a team has faced more bad teams than the Brewers have through this You could legitimately, hold on a second, you could legitimately face a team that's over 162 games, a terrible team, that got off to a great start. There are tons of April flashes where Mm -hmm. you get great teams that are then terrible. So to say somehow a schedule has evened out over a month, is just an insane thing to to Well, no, what I'm saying is that normally you don't have a a schedule that favors in one month playing this many elite, not just really good teams, but specifically really great offenses. Okay. So anyways, we're going to move on on this. Uh, The Brewers went out and tried to fortify their starting rotation by signing Gio Gonzalez to a $2 million guaranteed deal. He's got a couple incentives. Um I don't know. There's a bonus point system. Yeah, there's a whole bonus point system in here where basically... Does anyone care? No, we're not going to spend no, any time on this because who cares? Well, the thing is, he is rewarded for starting, and that's why he came to the Brewers was because... Is there a salary cap? He wants to so, start. So if he makes as much money as possible, it doesn't matter because there's no salary cap. It's not going to like prevent them from doing anything. So, JP... What does Gio Gonzalez bring to the rotation now that, you know, the, the Yankees said you're not good enough to to make it out of uh, AAA, but the Brewers said you're going to make your first start, what, two days after he was signed? Well, I mean, they had him signed, what was it, Wednesday, but officially it wasn't until Saturday. Sure. So w- what does he bring, uh, JP? I mean, we saw him last year, but this year he is coming in as a starter, not a guy that they can, they're going to, you know, maybe swing out of the bullpen. He brings stability. Um, he brings a little bit more uh, assurity in 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 what you know you should you can expect on a day to day basis. We talk we've talked a lot about you know Freddie Peralta and whether or not you're going to get the phenomenal Freddie Peralta, in which he's going to go seven or eight innings and and you know strike out twelve and not give up a single run, or are you going to get the one that is really struggling to get out of the first inning without giving up four or five runs? And and we don't know what we're going to get on a day to day basis via that. We knew that coming into the season. Um, you know, there was some thought that because he had such a good spring that he was going to be able to find some consistency. But it's it's the issue 
of why throughout the entire offseason we talked about on on this podcast and people who didn't listen to it can go back and listen to it and people who did probably forgot because you know you should forget most things that we talk about um is freddie peralta was kind of the guy on the outside looking in we for for a long time said that woodruff and burns were the the two that we were looking at and that has kind of come to 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 pass i do think with nelson starting his rehab with Gio Gonzalez coming in with Woodruff, I think being the guy that is a little bit more entrenched in, in the, in the uh, rotation at the moment. I, as much as like, I don't necessarily agree with it, uh, nor do I necessarily know that this is what they're doing, but things are getting set up to be able to say Corbin Burns, you can go back into the bullpen to try to solve the bullpen issue. Yeah, that was going to come up in in a little bit. We had questions about that. Do you think that is what they're aiming for at the moment? I honestly I don't know, but if I were if I were an organization trying to allow Corbin Burns to move to the bullpen, I would need another starting pitcher. And it's the fact that Gio Gonzalez is being told he's coming in as a starter. If they were just signing Gio Gonzalez and we saw him pitch out of the bullpen last year, if they were just signing Gio Gonzalez and they're like, here's another arm that we're going to, you know, here's another out getter and we're going to like bring him in and he might start. He might come out of the bullpen. We might piggyback him once in a while, but we're going to you know, use him because he makes our staff better. That's one thing. It's another thing to say you're starting and bringing him in. And, you know, Zach Davies is going to start. Julius, Yuli Chassin's going to start. And Woodruff is definitely, you know, out of the three young pitchers, he's the most entrenched. And if you've got Nelson coming back in like two or three weeks, you can either leave Burns down in AAA and just continue to, you know, throw shutouts like he has been, or you can move him to the bullpen and try to solve your biggest issue. Well, now you've said in the past few weeks, you think that if Burns isn't pitching in the majors as a starter, he should be in AAA still as a starter, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And that would be my take too. I, I think you still have to let him get that run. And his most valuable, his upside as a starter is where he would be most valuable. So I think you have to exhaust that before you start making moves where if you pull him the bullpen again, you're you're really starting to get to the point where it becomes much less likely that he's going to move back to the rotation in the future. Now, but, uh, if Burns starts to get it together... You know, and again, we we've seen flashes where you know that that first game he started, he had what twelve strikeouts. He struck out a lot of guys, and, and then he, started and getting rocked not, after that. But and he, but he's he's striking out a decent amount, and he's not walking guys. Again, he's been living in the zone, and that's been killing him. What kind of pitcher can he be if he figures this out? If Corbin Burns figures it out, he can become he's easily a number three. He can probably touch being a number two if everything really comes together. And again it's not really an issue of like if the stuff is good enough, right? We've, we've talked about the fact that he can miss a ton of bats. His, his strikeout rate is huge. He's down in triple a he's down. Uh, he hasn't given up a single earned run yet in, in two, two outings and he's still striking out over a batter per inning. It's it, it, it's not necessarily, it's not really a profile issue. It's not a repertoire issue. It's the fact that his command within the zone isn't exactly where it should be yet. Um, or it hasn't been, but it, it has been in the past as well. So for me, again, and you're right to point out that I've said that I think that he needs to be down in AAA uh, starting if he's not, because I think he, they should develop him as a starter. Uh, I'm just trying to understand what their 
they're trying to do. Um, and it, if for me, if you do have issues in the bullpen, you are trying to maximize this year as much as possible. Uh, and you sign Gio Gonzalez and you've got Jimmy Nelson coming back. It, uh, everything to me seems to be setting up to have Corbin Burns come in and, and pitch in the bullpen. Now, how much of the bullpen issues can be solved by just some of these guys getting longer starts? Because right now, five innings is like, oh, this is about where all of these guys are making it to. If they have a decent start. Yeah, you're not getting like six or seven inning starts. Even last year, they would occasionally get that, especially from Shasin, you know, Miley occasionally. They were getting starts like that. They really haven't so far this year. And it does put a stress on the bullpen, and it does expose those guys to having to pitch a lot because they're not getting a lot of time off in between appearances, and they're very often being asked to go more than one inning. Well, and we so, saw we saw what happened when Josh Hader got an extended break. He comes back, and it's that you know lights out, high heat that everybody has trouble you know. Yeah, he's making any kind of throwing immaculate innings again. Yeah, and he gets that little bit of rest and it does seem at least to have an effect. So you'd like to be able to do that. And it would be like you're saying, it would be really nice to extend the starters out a little bit, but I think that even more so than that, like the, the relievers just need to do a better job of picking things up. I mean, I think we've had some guys have bad runs here and have been getting hit when they get runners on base have been giving up big shots. Alex Wilson uh, on Saturday night with, uh, you know, the, the trouble he got into and then gave up the home run to Pete Alonso, right? Like, but here's guys the, are not getting out of trouble. And Wilson's had moments where he's been fine. Wilson has had moments where he's been fine. Burns has had, or I'm sorry, not Burns. Uh, Barnes has had moments where he's been fine. Uh, Claudio has had moments where he's been fine. But it feels like when they get into trouble, and this has been an issue a lot this year, when they get into trouble, they get hammered. And But here's, here's the actual issue when you look at what the Brewers are doing in their bullpen right now. Uh, league average walk rate, about not, a little under 9, about 9%, right? Just for all intents and purposes. Uh, I think we all know uh, a walk rate over, in, in, well, over 10%, so double digits, uh, not great. And you've got Josh Hader at 7.7%. That's great. His K rate is over 55%. He's real good. We know that. Uh, Jacob Barnes, 10.2%. Jeremy Jeffress, 20%. Alex Claudio, 11%. Jake Patrika, over 16%. Matt Albers, 4%. He's actually been pretty good this year. Uh, and Junior Guerra, 12%. Chase Anderson, 9%. But he's been moving to the starting rotation because they've needed some space there. Alex Wilson, 15.8%. Taylor Williams, 13%. Yeah, they are getting hammered when they get into trouble, but they're giving themselves a whole lot of chances to get in trouble because they just keep walking the world. Yeah, it has been. The walks were not an issue nearly so much last year as this year, and that's something that they have to figure out. And I think some of that comes from watching all the balls fly out of the yard guys start to pitch a little bit more cautiously and start to nibble and, and do some of that stuff because I mean, balls are like, flying out but like jacob barnes we know he has control issues jake patrico we know he has control issues same with junior guerra that's been one of the reasons why sometimes he's pitched himself out of the rotation and into triple a because he can't throw strikes alex wilson i don't necessarily know his his past history but taylor williams we know he has issues in terms of walking guys like this isn't None of this is new. None of this is unsurprising. It's the fact that in the past, you've been able to isolate guys 
like a Jacob Barnes in the sixth or seventh inning because you've had three or four guys that were always your lights out relievers. They've got one and a half, maybe if you want to, if you want to consider Junior Guerra the lights out rele- second lights out reliever this year. He's got a twelve percent K rate and a twelve percent walk rate, and his batting average on balls in play is one hundred. Good. Uh, that probably won't last, is what I'm saying, and. I just don't, I don't know. It's basically a coin flip and you're hoping to get to Josh Hader so we can lock it down is basically what the bullpen is right now. Okay. So I'm going to get to this question from uh, Jason Donlinger on Patreon. He says, which of the young three uh, Burns, Woodruff and Peralta, do you think stay in the rotation or go to the pen or stash in triple A is starting depth with geo signed and Nelson getting close. uh, There aren't enough spots for everyone. And this doesn't even take into account that Chase Anderson has been effective. And Chase Anderson's, I think, has earned continued starts, at least for a while, in the rotation. I think that is unquestionable at this point. We're going to have to see him fail before he gets moved out. So, um, well, But if that's the case, then you're going to have Davies, uh, Geo, Chassin, Woodruff. And so you're saying that Nelson can't, like some Nelson's going to out, like move somebody else out if, if Chase Anderson doesn't struggle? I mean, we'll have to see. They might go to six for a time. They may decide to do that. That could be a, a solution well, to that problem, at least in the short term. We're also acting like pitching injuries don't happen. Right. Pitching injuries or ineffectiveness. Yeah. They've or also just, talked about managing innings for young starters. Mm-hmm. You know, And Woodruff is in that group of young starters that they wanted to make sure that they didn't you know, overexpose this season. So, so anyway, getting back to Jason's question, I would say Woodruff is the most firmly implanted, obviously, in the rotation. And I think that they're going to continue. Of the young starters. Of those three, yes. And then I think that, to me, I, I would still like to see Burns stay in AAA if he's not going to start in the major leagues, at least for a few more months here. If you're going to move him back, I want to exhaust all possibilities before that's done. Because I don't think, I think there's a, there's a perception that, like, if you move Corbin Burns back to the bullpen where he was good last year, he's just going to overcome those issues he was having in the big leagues this year and jp talked about this in a past podcast it doesn't work that way he has not pitched as well this year in the rotation as he did last year in the bullpen and that's not just going to automatically change because he changed his roles so it it does change some things about it it changes how much he needs to throw those third and fourth offerings it does change how hard he can kind of attack and, and go at things and not having to see guys multiple times can help a lot too, but it isn't a magic bullet. It's not going to magically turn him back into Corbin Burns. What we saw last year, we have to, he has some things he needs to work out that he's currently doing in triple a. Well, and there are also some long-term issues that they want to get straightened out as well, because that's not a young Shasin signed through this season. Geo signed to a one-year deal. You know, we don't know how Nelson's coming back. Yep. So I they, they can't just say, well, all these guys are coming back and we're going to use them in, in 2019 and totally punt getting any answers going forward. Well, they have to they have to try to thread this needle of you have to be able to develop young players at the same time you're contending if you're going to do what they're they're trying to do here, which is to consistently be a good team year in, year out. You don't have a choice in a market like Milwaukee, really any market, honestly. You have to be able to incorporate young players in, and that means living with some growing pains and living with some struggles. So you have to be willing to 
take some of that as it comes. And given that the Brewers are, you know, still over 500 and they've gone through all these issues they've had and they've had the schedule they've had, they seem to be weathering the storm fairly well. And the the trick is going to well, be when it, they get to a point when the schedule does soften it, they're up. They're weathering it well as long as they're 500 or above. Yeah, I mean, once they get like a game below, then it then they're not weathering it well. It changes anymore. the perception quite a bit. Yeah, JP uh, Michael Heitkamp on Patreon asks: uh, Should the Brewers start to experiment with an opener, and which of the starting pitchers might benefit the most from the use of an opener? Yeah, I think that that's actually something to to consider. Um, and so, I guess the the easiest rationale to think about the benefits of an opener is. Um, you're trying to minimize the effect or you're trying to minimize uh, the, the effect of like the third time through the batting order, right? So basically what you're doing is you're, you're assuming uh, any team that you're going to be facing, they're going to be putting their best hitters up at the top. And so if you throw somebody for the first inning, you're taking the first three or four guys out of the first time through the order for any hypothetical pitcher that you're going to for to start for a day, and therefore anyone who's then starting in the second the 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 second time uh, or the second inning, um, in order to see the top three uh, three or four guys three times through the order, he's going to have to pitch in like to the eighth or ninth inning, right? It's going to have to be their fourth time up for the entire game. So the the odds are you're lessening the the impact that we know exists seeing a guy for the third time and you're trying to minimize that specifically for the best hitters in any given lineup well and the other thing that it allows you to do it allows them to see the worst hitters in the lineup the guys who are in the six seven eight spot it allows them to see those guys three times well also is there a little bit of an ability with using an opener that they can basically use a a pretty mid-tier reliever kind of middle of their pecking order as far as relievers go kind of get that inning out of the way early with well, a this little is more what success. i was wondering who is who is the opener on this yeah who would, you, who, who would, would you it use? be is it jacob barnes well it's the the benefit of the opener is um a you get a chance to actually uh play matchups a little bit depending on who you're going to be facing if you know that somebody is going to be putting a lot of lefties out there maybe you go to somebody like alex claudio if you know somebody is struggling with ground ball guys, maybe you go with Jeremy Jeffers in the first inning, right? Like there are a lot of different things that you can do in the first inning. Well, I guess what I'm trying to bring up though is you don't send Josh Hader out there as your opener. No, so that's why I'm saying, is it a way to get? I don't want to say a completely untrustworthy reliever, but somebody who's again lower in the pecking order, basically in the lower leverage, leverage situation, get them out of the way as well. Yeah, I mean that's true. Um, the two downsides for an opener for me. Um, are number one is if it doesn't work, you're basically sending your starter in uh, in a bad situation. Either A, you don't have a clean inning at all, um, or you're bringing them in already down three or four runs, which isn't exactly a great time that you want to then be going to your starting pitcher for a while, especially if they're they're quite good. Um, so I, I, I don't love that part. And the other thing you're doing is basically saying, I'm going to put a middle uh, a middle reliever out against the best hitters that the other team is going to have, and you're going to put them out there for a few, right? So there, well, it, And this team doesn't have great middle relievers, as we've talked about a lot in this podcast. They don't have so, great middle relief. So it's not it's not a great option, but if you're looking at trying to minimize what the, the impact is third time through the order, you're looking at somebody like Woodruff, you're looking at somebody like Burns in particular who would 
really benefit from those types of things because their numbers jump dramatically after the first time through the order. I guess the only time I really loved an opener using that was the in the playoffs sending Wade Miley out. Well, yeah, because that was, again, with those situations like that, then you're gaming it to basically get a lineup for a Brandon Woodruff to face. During the season, you don't have that option because teams aren't playing for that game that day. Well, and presumably teams kind of know they're going to look at it and go, oh, you're using Jacob Barnes to start this game that you might otherwise start with Gio Gonzalez. Well, we're not going to take the bait and set our lineup up for Jacob Barnes, who's obviously not going to pitch, you know, the entire game. They're going to say, oh, yeah, Gio's coming in here pretty quick. So we're going to set our lineup up to hit Gio. So it'll be a bunch of righties. But if you do look at so the teams that so the Angels are kind of playing with it at the moment. Um, The Rays have been doing it quite a bit. They tend to do it with uh, Ryan Stanek Uh, tends to be their their guy who came up through kind of came up through the ranks as uh, frankly quite a good pitching prospect for a long time as a starter. Um, and so the the one thing that's really interesting about what the Rays can do is they actually they don't generally do it, but they pitch a guy who can go multiple innings, which is a really interesting part. Um, but you do really run a risk of basically putting putting your your starting pitcher in a big big problem. It's the same it's a exact same issue that that comes up with like, you know, the piggybacking thing and Ryan's talked about that a bunch and I'm just like it, it works great if like all of your pitchers pitch well all the time, but if you go through a couple of bad starts in a row, your number numbers really start to have problems in a hurry. Well, the thing that you can do now that teams have basically all adopted is the rotating revolving door at the back end of their bullpen. So you teams can. are all doing that now, which takes a lot of that pressure off the it way does. we used to conceive of it. It does, but then you have to admit that your revolving door of pitchers is, uh, you know, your Adrian Hauser's who didn't pitch all that well. No, Adrian Hauser did not pitch all that well in his one start against the Cardinals. That's true. I know that, but you can also look at his repertoire and understand why he maybe is more prone to have trouble. No, again. JP, didn't you hear? It was just that the Cardinals are one of the top offenses in baseball I also, because the Cardinals I are really good. Because Ryan, you know, looked at the first week of April. I do struggle to th- to come up with any scenario in which Ryan doesn't see the Cardinals being the best team in the entire world after how he's talked about them. <laughs> um, hey, we got a, a question on Twitter from Cushdog Five. Is it Cushdog Five, or do you think it's Cush Dogs? No, no, I think Cush- it's, no, it's Cushdog Five, and I'm wondering who Cushdog One through Four are. Was this like a movie thing? Like, were there were there prequels? You guys, it- you guys sound so old. Cushdog. Five, we'll go with that as the actual name. He asks, are we overreacting to splitting with the Cardinals and losing four of seven to the Dodgers if we come out of April over 500 with as bad as our pitching is bad, Ben? Yes. I mean, that's, yeah, we obviously. And also, doesn't it bode well for the rest of the year? It probably does bode well. Like, you are looking at a team that isn't going to face this tough a schedule in a given month really in another, looking at the schedule a little bit earlier when I saw this question. They don't have another month that looks like this, where you are just going to get like absolutely. Well, especially hold on, the hold same on. Teams wait a wait again. a second. May is not fun. Um, you have Washington, you have the Cubs, you have Philly, you have Atlanta, you have Philly again. I mean, Pittsburgh's in there. Cincinnati can hit, kind of maybe. Yeah, it's not fun, but it's not this month. This month was really. I mean, you were getting the the elite teams in the NL in huge portions. You don't understand, Steve. This had the Cardinals in it. 
And the Dodgers. Like, the Dodgers. Does anybody really think the Dodgers aren't the most talented team in the NFL? No. I'm just giving you shit. There's no weird... No. Like, obvious, obviously, yes. The point is, I'm giving you shit for trying to quantify something poorly. Um, and so, when you get into this question, I do think it... So, like I said prior to the year that I think if they come out of April 500, you take that every day of the week. And they're and, on track to, at worst, be, what, a game under? And so, we had a, so we had a question... Uh, in like our first or second pod uh, after the year started and it said given how well the Brewers started would you still take 500 it, yeah because of who they were playing because of how hard the, the the year was and basically you can't you just don't want to get in a situation in which you put yourself and you you dig yourself a hole uh, in April and yeah they they started extremely well you know, we talked about how they were basically winning all of their one and two run games at the beginning of the year, and that wasn't going to last. Um, well, they were also winning 10 run games. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, that's the thing I think people forget is when you win 13 to 10, those aren't games that you can count on winning a whole lot when you're giving up 10 runs. You know, so when they're giving up seven, eight runs later in the season and drop, you know, but dropping the flip them. side of that is when you score 13 runs, you can pretty much count on winning that game. So. I think Steve's suggesting that they probably can't count on scoring 13 runs all that many times. Exactly. How many um, games do you think they'll score 13 runs in all season? More than they'll give up 13 runs. And will those always line up with games that they give up 10 runs? There will be some correlation between... <laughs> no, there will... I mean, <laughs> because conditions in stadiums do matter. Like, I, when I the wish, wind blows... I wish I was recording video so you could have seen JP's reaction to When that. the wind blows out at Wrigley... Guys, when did, the wind blows did out you Wrigley, injure did you injure your eyes when you're when they rolled back in your head so hard, JP? I don't I don't know. That was amazing. When the wind blows out at Wrigley, when you're playing in Coors Field, when you're like you will have games where both teams give up a bunch of runs, and it's at least partially due to the conditions of the game. You have an umpire with an insanely tight strike zone. Like that it happens all the time. You see that over and over and over again. This is the this is the equivalent to Ryan tweeting through it. And he's just like <laughs> like we might have just like pointed out that whatever was going to happen was probably something that didn't need to happen. Uh and he just was like, "No, nah, I'm doing it. Doubling down, I'm going for it." And yes, there are certain games in which uh circumstances do line up in which that's happening. He's not asking how many anomalous situations show up in which you can expect high-scoring situations because of things that don't normally happen in a baseball game. He's asking how many times do you just score 13 runs? And so if you're saying that the only time you score 13 runs are when like there's an abnormal like environmental situation that allowed you to score 13 runs, then sure, but that's not, you know, what ends up happening. Uh that so, answer almost got you kicked out of here. <laughs> Great. Almost got you got almost got you kicked out of here and you're not even at my house. <laughs> you just deleted his contact info, right? <laughs> uh yeah so i think i do think that if they can get through this part at 500 then you, you've still got everything to play for i think the biggest thing that you want to talk about and this is you know like any any like major golf tournament or anything like that you're basically your first two days are just trying to not play yourself out of it and you're trying to give yourself an opportunity to get to the middle parts of the year in which you can strengthen if you need to strengthen you can uh you know you hope other other teams have some injuries or you hope that your pitching starts to turn around once they've had a chance to get into the season and you try to get on on hot streak like they did early this year but you try to sustain it a little bit more 
And if they can make sure that they go through, and I know month to month is kind of an arbitrary uh, endpoint, but it's an easy way for us to look at it and say, if you can go month to month and not like play yourself under 500 in any month, you'll be okay. Well, because we kind of thought that winning the NL Central this year could very easily be a team in the high 80s, like at 88, 89, 90 wins just because of how good not only the Central is, but the rest of the NL. Well, hold on. Pakoda said that. Now, I mean, if you asked us, somebody's going to separate from the field. Potentially, it could I happen. I mean, if you even with how tight that how tight the NL Central can potentially be, I would still guess it's going to take 94 wins to win the division. Meaning that the second place team is going to have 94 or 93 wins? No, I'm I'm just saying like a team that wins the division is probably going to be pushing mid-90s for wins. I mean, yeah, I could see it. I think it's going to be a little bit lower than that, though. I I really do. I think it's going to be a little bit lower. You think it's just going to remain packed tight the entire way? Um, not necessarily tight. I think one of the teams could between but the th- between the Reds and the Pirates. I swear one of to them God, I am going to strangle. Well, I don't care about the bottom of the division, but that's where nobody those- cares about the bottom of the division. Hold on, but that's where those wins would come from. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think for me, if you're looking at the NL Central, I think it's still. I mean, frankly, it's just a it's a crapshoot. You've got a lot of talented teams. You've got a lot of talented team. You've got four teams that you could conceivably see make a wild card push, if not. You know, a a conference championship push in the National League East, and and teams like Arizona and the Padres are are better than you know we've expected them to be thus far. Arizona's got a run differential thus far plus twenty one, which nobody would have really expected. You've got basically three bad teams in the NL, and it's not going to be a good situation. You might get somebody who can run away with something you know that who is just able to to get a good run of one game one run game results or something like that but i think it's going to be i think it's going to be a season in which everyone just beats the crap out of each other um i don't necessarily know what that means in terms of a run differential i think basically what it means is we're going to be talking all year about really frustrating stretches in which it feels like a team who we went into the season thinking was going to be good is not on pace to win 95 games and it's because there are a lot of really good teams and everyone's just gonna beat the shit out of each other um and yeah you've got the reds who have the third best run differential in the league who are are you know the best are the worst team in the nl central it's not gonna be it's not gonna be pretty there's Um, gonna be a weird thing too where like somebody going in the nl central like somebody going 14 and 5 against the pirates is going to be what like wins the division for them that's going to be it's going to be some really weird random thing. It won't be the games head to head against the other good teams. It'll be somebody just putting up a ridiculous run against one seemingly maybe irrelevant team that's going to be the deciding factor. It's a very because it's so also bunched. You just don't know exactly what it's going to be yet. Yeah. Okay. So I have one last question. Uh, it's from Jason Spitz on Patreon. He asks, outside of Hader and Guerra, there have been no consistently reliable bullpen arms. Is that too big of a problem to overcome this year, or is it fixable? I mean, I guess this kind of goes back to how Corbin Burns is going to be used as well. I mean, I do think it's fixable because one of the quickest things to fix and one of the easiest things to fix is the bullpen. Like, you can do that. Because it it's also volatile anyway, because it bounces back and forth at such a, a great 
at such a great pace anyway, you can get improvement there without doing a whole bunch of things. And they do have a number of arms. I, I've said I don't want them to move Corbin Burns back to the bullpen yet, but you know potentially that could be a thing in you know August September that could help them in that way. You can go out and add. There will be a number of bullpen arms who come on the market mid year this year. You can add guys like that to improve things. So if you're going to be deficient in an area, being deficient in for them essentially middle relief because you do have Hader and you do have Guerra at the end. That's not a terrible place. Is Guerra at the end something they wanted to see? I guess, JP, is there enough depth on the 40-man roster right now for their bullpen through this entire season? I mean, for their bullpen, uh, yeah. But, I mean, in order for it to be an elite bullpen, I just don't think they've got the arms on it right now to be able to make that happen. But to Ryan's point, it is the place that you you can turn around. And it's a place you can turn around by, again, right? Like moving somebody like Burns to to the bullpen to give yourself another guy there. It's you can, like, as much as people roll their eyes about it, you can go and sign a Craig Kimbrell. You can go, the one thing that I would be a little bit cautious of is suggesting that it can be uh, improved too much via the trade market in July because that's where everybody's going to want to be uh, strengthening. And the Brewers are not necessarily going to be in a position in which they've got the depth in the minors to be able to go and get the elite arms. They might be able to go and get an Anthony Swartz, that kind of guy who, you know, can come in and be, you know, your third or fourth best reliever and, and, and be, you know, quite good for a couple months if you can hit him in the right time, but they're not going to go and get a Brad hand. So it's, it's going to be a really difficult part for them to be able to, address in a in a in a dramatic way and so in order for them to to get to the point where july is possible for them to make a meaningful distinct or a meaningful addition to uh significantly improve they're going to have to improve prior to that point and that's the, and that's what i'm skeptical on whether or not they've got the arms to be able to do at this point okay last question and i've kind of asked a variation of this before do the Brewers make the big push for Kimball right now to beat the market before it opens up after, you know, other teams don't have to punt draft picks to sign them? No, I don't think they do. Are you asking should or will they? Both. Um, should I? I'm. I think that they. I think that they should go in with a really big one year offer. Um, I think that's absolutely something that would be beneficial to the team right now, and I don't think it would hamper them financially uh, going forward. Um, but he's not looking we, for one year. Most likely. He we don't wants know that. two or three is the latest reports where he still wants two or three. Well, right. And if you're a month away, for, if you're just saying, well, I have to sit out another five weeks at that point, you're just like, well, I've already sat out for you know all of spring training plus four weeks, at four or five weeks of the season. What's another five weeks? Yeah, I would absolutely be waiting until if I were him, I wouldn't be taking a one year deal. There's no way I would know that uh, everyone saying that I've got huge question marks about my arm and maybe I'm not as good as everyone says I am. And I'm going to kind of rely everything on my next, you know, big big payday on four months and knowing that in free agency guys don't want to spend big money anyway. I'd be, I'd be waiting another weeks and trying to cash in at that point. But I do think that the Brewers should go in with a a strong one year deal. I just don't feel confident that Kimbrell would go in and actually take it. 
Yeah. So, okay. I'm going to wrap this up, but real, real quick, I'm going to mention Richard Parker's uh, question. He asked if the Brewers are going to play the Dodgers and Cardinals on an endless loop into eternity. And the answer is no, because they're going to play Chicago, Philadelphia, and Atlanta in May. Right. But, and we don't see the Dodgers at all until the playoffs. So we got that to look forward to. And then, uh, don't see the Cardinals until August, right? I believe that's when the next Cardinal series is. So at least those teams have shuffled off. Now it's another set of good teams. Basically, we need it to be June before we can kind of go, oh, this will be maybe oh, I mean, a little more forgiving. The series against the Marlins, if they don't just go out and like score 40 runs and shut them out every time, it's going to be... It's going to be when the Marlins are hot, too. Yeah, it's going to be when the Marlins are hot. And it'll, yeah, it'll just be like soul-crushing agony at that point. Okay, so hopefully next week isn't quite the soul-crushing agony when we reconvene for this podcast, right? And maybe we won't scream at each other as much. <laughs> the stress is giving, getting to everyone already. And we aren't even through April. We're doing our old man yelling. It is old man yelling. We got really a 40-year-old over here, so off first first one of the group i was gonna say it is old man yelling because i'm not sure how many people like sustain a podcast for this long other than like middle-aged men (laughs) we we have to have quite the ego to be able to do that and keep doing it every week so but we appreciate everyone who does listen (laughs) so come back again next week uh and don't forget uh you can join our patreon by visiting patreon.com slash mke tailgate patrons at the MNB and ball and glove levels receive the monthly minor league extra podcast as always follow us on twitter at mke tailgate you can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our facebook page for milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher overcast pocket Casts, and wherever else you listen to podcasts uh, you can also leave reviews and that helps people find the podcast thanks for listening and look for us again next week on milwaukee's tailgate